We'll be in Matthew chapter 16 to start out today. Matthew chapter 16. Next week we'll look at the example that's given to us in Ephesians, the fact that Christ loved the church. Uh, that'll be our focus next week. But uh, before we get to that thought, I want us to get to the thought of uh, the church itself. What is the church? And uh, so I want us to see here in Matthew chapter 16, uh, we'll look mainly in this passage, we'll look at another passage as well, uh, but starting in verse number 13. The Bible says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This morning I want us to look at the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church. Lord, help us, I pray this morning, as we look at this passage. And as we look at the thoughts that you've given, and Lord, I pray that today you would uh, build an understanding within us exactly what the church is and how powerful it is and how much you care about it. And Lord, we know that you've established it. And so God, we pray as we look specifically at our local church, Lord, uh, what you can do within this church, what you can do through this church. And I pray that you would burden our hearts to be uh, a bigger part of it. Lord, that we'd be motivated to serve you more, to draw closer to you. I pray that you would help me to present these thoughts clearly and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look at uh, three things this morning. Uh, and we're going to look at truth uh, within this. The foundation of the church is based on truth. And we have to understand, uh, we talked about this this morning in Youth Sunday School, but the idea of uh, the Bible is truth. There is no error in the Bible. Uh, what the Bible says has been proven to be true, but also we take it by faith to be true. And when we're looking at the church and God's design for the church, we have to understand the foundation, the basis, what everything else is built on within the church. And we find it here in this passage. But first of all, this morning, I would like us to see the truth that forms the foundation. The truth that forms the foundation. And we see it in verse number 16. When Peter answered the question of, of who do you say that I am, he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We see that other people had assumed Jesus to be a prophet. Some thought he was a prophet come back to life. Elias, Jeremiah, uh, some thought that he was John the Baptist, even though uh, John the Baptist exists. It shows you right the, uh, how far we've come uh, in social media age. Everybody knows what people look like because there's pictures posted. But back then, people had heard the, uh, the story of John the Baptist, this man that was out there in the desert 
uh, eating a weird diet, dressed in weird clothes, which was interesting because Jesus didn't do those things as far as we know. But uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, some people thought, well, maybe he's the John the Baptist that we've heard about. Uh, others thought he was a prophet that had come back to life, which was a pretty incredible thing in itself. But so many people did not comprehend, did not understand, did not realize or believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God. These disciples, they had followed Jesus, they had been with him, they were spending uh, nearly every minute of the day with him. They had watched miracles, they had heard teaching, uh, they had had personal uh, time of investment and training. And so when Christ asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter's the one that speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's so much in that phrase, but it's important for us to understand that the truth that forms the foundation is the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, we see that he was not uh, um, a, a great prophet. He was the prophet. He's not the, uh, uh, some, some uh, uh, preacher. He was the preacher. He is the God. He is the Christ. The foundation of the church and the truth that forms the foundation of the church is not Peter. Peter was faithful, he was a servant, he sacrificed, but Peter was a man. The foundation, the truth that forms the foundation of the church is not in a man. I have been privileged throughout my life to meet many wonderful preachers. Men who could get up and clearly and sometimes uh, uh, masterfully just present the Word of God. I've, I've heard preachers with great uh, a tone of voice. Man, when you hear him, you just think, man, that'd be a great voice to have. I've, I've heard preachers who were great expositors of the Bible and their voices were really hard to listen to. Uh, I've, met, I've met preachers who were uh, just, uh, I'll use the word entertaining, but not in a bad way. They, were, uh, they had a way of presenting Scripture in a way that was just fun to listen to, uh, uh, easy to pay attention to. I know some of you wish, I wish we could have that. Um, but I've heard some people, I mean, they have illustrations that, that help apply the Scripture. You think, man, that's just, that's awesome. I, I'm not good at illustrations. Uh, but I've, I've heard some preachers that were. And I've seen these churches who, who, who ran thousands of people. And some people would look and, boy, man, that pastor, look what he's done. No man is the truth that forms the foundation of the church. The truth that forms the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ alone. It's the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And when we look at our church and we're looking at going forward this year and, and growing in the Lord, growing in numbers, yes, but growing in the Lord, growing in our spiritual maturity, we have to understand the truth that forms the foundation of this church. And it's the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everything is based off of that. And we'll talk about it more in just a moment. But everything is built off the fact that Jesus is Lord. The foundation of the church is not built off the apostles and the disciples. They were so uh, uh, in, in, in important in the, the Acts church that we read about. They were so important in the forming of that and in the, the growing of that and in the building of that and in the dispersing of missionaries and church planters and, and all those sorts of things. They were important. God used them in a mighty way. But they're not the foundation. 
They're not what the church is built on today. We don't look, um, you know, we can look at our country and we can look back at the important men and women in our country that were used to build the importance of, of the, the foundation of our country. And we can, we can point to George Washington and his influence and the importance of what, the role that he played. And we can look at Abraham Lincoln and the things that he did to help strengthen our country. And we can look at other men, and there are women as well involved in all of this. And as a country, we can look back to some people and say, boy, they, they were influential in the foundation of our country. But when it comes to the church, yes, God used people to do different things throughout history, but the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, and not just some guy, not just some teacher, not just some prophet, but God. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. That is the truth that forms the foundation of the church. Number two, I want us to see the truth that forms the purpose of the church. The truth that forms the purpose of the church. We're going to come back to Matthew 16 in just a minute, but if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The truth that forms the purpose of the church. Look with me in verse number 14. And if Christ, remember that's who we're talking about, Jesus is the Christ. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He had raised up Christ, whom He had raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. The truth that forms the foundation of the church is the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The truth that forms the purpose of the church is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And we see here the, the whole idea of what we are as a church. Uh, when we talk about evangelization, although I think that's, somewhat secondary in, in the, the, the acts of the church. I want to explain that clearly enough, but I think the, the main purpose of the church is Christians and growing and discipling and training to go out and evangelize. So we should evangelize and the church should evangelize, but nonetheless, all that to say, uh, uh, you look at the roles of the church, you look at evangelization, preaching the gospel, sharing with people that Jesus Christ came and died and was buried and rose again from the dead and He did it for you and for me. And we see that, that that's a big part of our, of, our, of our role as a church. Our church is to disciple, to train, to teach. That's what Christ did with the disciples. He trained them. He, he taught them the Bible. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to give. He taught them how to serve. That's the role of the church. We do that as well. It is to fellowship. It is to have godly, Christ-honoring fellowship, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ that come together, encourage one another, edify one another, lift each other up. If you're in a church that you're constantly getting beaten down by the person next to you, one of you needs to leave. Hopefully it's the person that's doing the beat down. But uh, nonetheless, a church is supposed to edify. It's supposed to build up. It's supposed to lift up and encourage one another, to carry one another's burdens, to pray for one another. But everything that the church does is for nothing if Christ not be risen. 
The foundation that forms the purpose of the church is right here in 1 Corinthians 15. For if he's not Christ, that we talked about in the previous point, and he is not risen, well, at the end of the day, we're just a bunch of fools. How do you look at cults? C-U-L-T-S, not C-O-L-T-S. How do you look at them? I, I, I really enjoy learning about some of the things, uh, the events that happened in Waco, Texas, back when I was a kid. I'm intrigued by it. I've, I've watched every documentary. I've listened to every podcast. I haven't read anything because I hate reading. But um, anything that I can listen or watch, I've done. I, I'm intrigued by it, how people can be so deceived. And, and so much so that they put their lives at risk for something that's not true. That's what we would be if Christ be not risen. I look at people in in cults and I think, how in the world do they get so deceived? How do they believe that that guy is somebody so important? I don't want to start naming all the the cults and stuff, but you look, I mean, you look at Mormons and how deceived they are. You look at any, any cult out there and you'll just see, you, and I, I, maybe you're not like me. I, I, I sit there and I look, how in the world is someone that, I'll use the word stupid, but ignorant, I don't know what's the right word for it, but how in the world will they fall for that? You see, if Christ be not risen, we're, we're the exact same as those people. So the truth that forms the purpose of the church is the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. Otherwise, we're doing it for nothing. Otherwise, we're here for no reason this morning. And maybe some of you think, I'm here for no reason this morning anyhow. (laughs) You're not! The truth that forms the purpose of the church is the fact that Christ is risen. If our faith is not in the fact that Christ is risen... Not in the fact that Christ is Christ, then we're not of Christ. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, and that He came to this earth and that He died on the cross for our sins, and that He was buried and then He rose again three days later, you're not of Christ. There are so-called churches today that claim to be preaching the Bible, but they don't believe that Christ was God. That's not of Christ. There are churches today that claim to be preaching the Bible, but they don't believe that Christ rose from the dead. Well, what's the point? See, what we do is not in vain. Our purpose stems from the gospel, from Christ, who is God, who came to earth, who died on the cross, who was buried, and he rose again three days later. And he didn't do it just because. He did it because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that for a minute. 
Next week we'll look, like I said, at the fact where the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ died for you. And he died for me. And what makes it even more special is that he didn't stay dead. If God was dead, why would I serve him? I could still love him for dying for me, right? Why would I serve him if he was defeated? See, Christ on the cross, when he died, some thought he was defeated. There were people who thought he claimed to be God and he's dead. There were people, I believe, and this is just purely opinion, but I believe it just because of human nature. There were people who believed as Christ taught and followed him and they watched him on the cross and when he died they thought, he's not who he said he was. I fell for it. I followed him. I gave up things for him. And now he's dead? And they walked away from the cross feeling defeated. But then three days later, the ground shook. A stone that was incredibly heavy by itself rolled away. And Jesus walked out of the tomb. And as people began to see him, as people began to hear of this, some of those who thought he was defeated all of a sudden realized, no, he's not defeated. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. He's victorious. He defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated sin. And then Christ began to preach, and he got his disciples to preach, and he's told us to preach the fact that because Christ defeated death, You can too. You see, the truth of the purpose of the church that forms the purpose of the church is that Christ is risen. Because if he was dead, all of this would be for nothing. We could still be sleeping right now. Like many other people around us. But we're here today. Why? Because there's a purpose. Christ is Lord. And he's alive. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever anyone else will say. He lives. He's alive. I don't understand how people serve idols, worship idols. I don't get it. Buddha, I don't get it. Number one, look at him. (laughs) Right? I mean, seriously? That's who I'm worshiping? I don't get it. I don't get how people worship inanimate objects. Things that have no life. I don't get how people worship stories. uh, Dead ancestors. I don't get it. And I don't take that lightly. But the God that I serve, the God that I worship, the God that I sacrifice for, I don't do it perfectly. I'm not this great person or anything like that. But the God that I serve is alive. And there's my purpose. 
He's risen. For if He's not risen, everything I do is empty. It's, it's, it's in vain. And any person who says, prove that He's alive, I turn it back on them. You prove it for yourself. I've already proven it in my life. I ask and He gives. I'm scared and I say, God, I'm scared. I need, I need your help. I need your comfort. I need your guidance. Guess what? He gives it to me. I have health needs and I say, God, I need your help and He helps me. I have financial needs and I say, God, I need your help and He helps me. A dead God can't do that. And the most important thing in my life, a point in my life where I say, God, I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell. But you've told me that if I place my faith in your saving grace, you will save me. God saved me. And he did. A dead God can't do that. The truth that forms the foundation of the church is that Jesus Christ is Lord, He's God. The truth that forms the purpose of the church is that Jesus Christ is alive. God is alive. Let's go back to Matthew, and I want us to look at the last point, Matthew chapter 16. The truth that forms the conclusion. The truth that forms the conclusion. Look with me in verse number 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I want to clarify real quickly, if I haven't made it clear already. Again, Peter is not the rock in which God builds the church. Jesus Christ is. The fact that Jesus Christ is God, that's where Christ is building His church. But look at the last phrase in verse number 18. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The truth that forms the foundation is the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The truth that forms the purpose is the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. The truth that forms the conclusion is the fact that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. What does that mean? First of all, we need to understand the church has enemies. It's proof in this verse. God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, meaning that the gates of hell are trying to prevail. The church has enemies. The enemies of the church are the powers and the policies of Satan. The powers and the policies of Satan. Think today about the powers that appear to be influenced by wickedness. Find me one that's not. The policies of Satan. Listen, we don't get political here. Because there are people with different poli pol political stuff. But let me tell you this. There are policies in this world today that are clearly of Satan. The murdering of children, of babies. You can't tell me that's of God. The openness of sin, you can't tell me that's of God. 
It's wicked. There's so much out there today that is fighting against the church. We are privileged to be in America. We have freedoms in America that, that many people throughout the world, many Christians throughout the world, don't have the privilege of experiencing. But don't ever fall asleep on the fact that Satan's after us. He's working hard to put things in our country that will affect the church, that will attempt to shut down the church, that will attempt to muzzle the church. He's working. We have enemies. The enemies of the church, they oppose the gospel. They don't want you sharing it. They don't want you telling other people. It's amazing that the gospel is this free gift that's offered to us. There's nothing that we can do to earn this, this salvation. It's the gift of God. And it's a gift that we're able to share with other people. Let them know, here's the gift that God offers. And we're supposed to, commanded by Scripture, to tell other people about it. Can you believe there are people in this world that are saying, you shouldn't be able to do that. They're against the gospel. The enemies of the church, they try to corrupt God's word. You've seen it. I almost guarantee you have. Someone say, well, the Bible says. And then you sit there and go, wait, it does? I've never heard that. I've never seen that. I've never read that. Where does it say that at? Well, well, well. You've heard people say, doesn't the Bible say that you're supposed to love me? It does. And the Bible says that how I'm supposed to love you is to help you do right. They corrupt God's Word. They, they misdefine what God says. They twist God's Word. That's what the enemies of the church do. The enemies of the church persecute the faithful. They're going to do everything they can to make life hard. Everything they can to mock, to ridicule, to hurt. They persecute the faithful. And again, in America, we, boy, we, we are fortunate. Someday, I don't know when it's coming, persecution will get harder. The enemies of the church, they persuade with wickedness. They try to pull you out. They look at the church and they, they say, we're going we're gonna to drag you out. We're going we're gonna to persuade you with wickedness. They're going to persuade you with money. They're going to persuade uh, your pride. They're going to try to, to make you think or tell you that you can be famous, that if you do it this way, uh, then, then more people will know you, and then you can write a book, and then you can sell it, and then you can have three mansions and a private jet and whatever. They're going to tell you you can have more fun if you do it this way. Listen, I fully admit our church isn't perfect. I understand that me as the pastor, I'm not perfect. I get that you can go to a church that will have maybe something you like more there. Right? I get that. I'm not, I'm not blind to that fact. But I've told you, from day one, everything we do in our church is made a matter of prayer. And we don't do things within the church unless we've prayed about it. And there are things that are fine not sinful, not wicked, that have been brought as an idea and we haven't done it because we've prayed about it and we don't believe that God wants it in our church. Will it change someday? Maybe, I don't know. 
We're just going to keep following God. But I'll tell you this, there are other things out there that people will try to persuade. And, and I, anytime we bring someone new into the church, that means there's new ideas. Right? Anytime someone new comes to the church, that means there's, there's a, a new opinion. And that's fine. But I also know there are people out there, and I don't know how long you've been around church, I don't know what you've seen, but I've seen it, where they go church to church to church. They're there for two months, a year, two years, and they're just trying to implement their way. Every time, every church they're in. And once that, that church won't do it, then they just jump to the next church. And they just keep going around church to church to church. They're not there to be helped. They're not there to learn. They're not there to grow. They're there to get their way. And I'm thankful our church isn't like that. And I continue to pray that you guys will help me make sure it doesn't get like that. But I'll tell you what, there are people out there that Satan is using to try to tear apart churches. He's out there attacking. The Bible says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, destroy, tear apart. You see, the enemies of the church, they are out there to, uh, to, to, to persuade churches to go away from what God desires for them to do. The truth that forms the conclusion, we've got to understand that there is, there is enemies of the church, but we also need to understand what God says. The church will stand. He says there in verse 18, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the church that I will build. While the earth exists, Christ will have a church in it. There will never be a day in the rest of, of the earth's future that does not have a church in it. How do I know that? Because God says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will stand. If things change in our country and persecution arises and, and, and political agendas take into place that say you can't have church, I pray that our church stands. But it's going to take people being faithful, people trusting, people claiming the truth of what God says. Because right now we've got it pretty easy. And maybe our lifetime will remain relatively easy. I have no idea. But if you just look throughout the history of the world, no country has ever uh, made it all the way through, right, without major persecution of Christians. We've got to be willing to stand because God says my church will stand. In 2 Corinthians 4, 9, the Bible says, Persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. We have to take on that mindset. We have to claim the truth that God is going to provide for us. So when we're persecuted, we have to remember we are not forsaken. And when we're cast down, we have to realize we're not destroyed. We stand. Who do you say Christ is? Would you respond as Peter did? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon this truth, upon this rock, Christ will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it.
The truth that forms the foundation of the church is the fact that Jesus is the Christ. The truth that forms the purpose of the church is the fact that Jesus Christ is risen. And the truth that forms the conclusion is the fact that God will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will stand. Next week when we look at the fact that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, loves the church. We have to remember the foundation that it's built upon. For everything is built off of that. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we sit here in church this morning. We are the so-called faithful. Lord, we come to worship you. Lord, we come to serve you. Lord, we come to learn of you. Lord, we come to encourage one another. In America, we have this history of going to church. But God, I pray that in this church, in Bible Pathway Baptist Church, Richmond, Kentucky, God, I pray that for us it's not just going to church, but Lord, that we can comprehend, that we can understand, Lord, that we can apply in our lives the fact that church is important to you. God, I pray that our hearts would be set on following you and obeying you. And that, God, we would understand that you're not just a history figure. But Lord, you are God Almighty. And would you help us to always remember that this church has the foundation built on the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand our purpose and it's formed from the fact that we serve a risen Savior, that Christ rose from the dead, that He became victorious. And because He was victorious, now He gives us the opportunity to be victorious through Him. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand and clearly know that the church that you build will stand forever. God, would you help us to be a part of it? Would you help us to stand and be willing to stand knowing that we're on your side and that you're with us? God, I pray for our church. I pray that we are a lighthouse on a hill. Lord, I pray that we are an example. Lord, I pray that we are, are, are representing you. I pray that we are loving our neighbors. Lord, that we're praying for our leaders. That we're sharing the gospel. That we're edifying one another. Lord, we want our church to be your church. And it is. And Lord, we want, we want our church to be built by you and not us. But God, help us to have a heart of surrender, a heart of sacrifice, a heart of serving to you. Lord, may we take the truths of your word and use it to be the church that you desire for us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes. As we continue through our study of Psalm 119, uh, thank you for signing up for those that have been able to for the projects this month. Uh, right now, everything that we had pre-filled is, is claimed. Uh, so you can look at it and see if someone needs help with something they've signed up for or uh, try to think of some other ways. Um, we've been pounding our heads against the wall trying to figure out what else needs to be done. Um, 
We need someone to get a toothbrush and scrub the steeple. No. Um, uh, now I would like it to be productive things. Who's got that? Acacia's job. Okay, there you go. Done. Uh, next. Uh, so, nonetheless, uh, we, we could use uh, help in March once the weather kind of warms up on the, the flower beds and stuff like that as well. Um, but uh, if you want to look at the list and say, and talk to whoever signed up for something, say, hey, do you need help? When do you want to do it? Those kinds of things. Uh, feel free to do that. Or if you come up with something else, of course, we've got cleaning day uh, later this month. Um, and I'm sure we can we can figure something else again once the weather clears up and we need to uh, get some stuff taken care of with the flower beds out front. We've got someone signed up to do it, but um, can always use some help there as well. Uh, let's see here. All right, Psalm 119. We're looking at verses 17 through 24 today. 17 through 24. The Bible says, Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth, hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing uh, that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, and which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselor. We see these verses kind of split in half. We're going to look at the opportunities in the Bible, and then we're going to look at the opposition to the Bible, and then we'll be done this afternoon. Lord, I pray for your help this, this afternoon as we look into your word and continue to study through this psalm. And Lord, I pray that, again, you would bring something fresh to us today, that we would learn from it, grow closer to you because of it. Uh, help us to be encouraged by your word as well, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in this section, the first part here is the opportunities in the Bible. And we see in the first verse, verse 17, it says, Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. It's kind of a New Testament thought uh, in the middle of the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament, there was a lot of actions, uh, the sacrifices and the going to the feasts and the different things like that, a lot of action uh, that went into the following God, serving God, living for God, all those kinds of things. And here he says, that I may live and keep thy word. It is the idea of the New Testament that we get of salvation followed by the action. Because I'm saved, I'm obedient. And, uh, and, and so we see it here in this verse, the way that it's word, the way that it's placed, is built deal bountifully uh, in blessings and provision and help with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Uh, the, the, again, the result of, of the living is keeping God's word. And a lot of times as Christians, we, we kind of forget that that's how it's supposed to work. The reason why I do good is because I live through Christ. Because of my salvation, that should motivate me to be obedient. Because of my salvation, I have no reason to not be obedient. Uh, everything I do now, I do because I live in Christ. And then we see in verse number 18, an understanding. He says, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Uh, again, when you're reading Scripture regularly, you're going to come across verses where you're going to say, God, open my eyes. I don't get it. 
um, <clears throat> help me to see. You remember in the Old Testament, and I always get it mixed up. I don't remember if it was Elijah or Elisha. Um, maybe, no, it wasn't even either one of those guys. The, the, uh, who was the guy that had, was it Elisha? That had all the army around the city and they couldn't see it. Elisha? Okay, I thought so. I was right. Um, <laughs> I was right. You were wrong. Okay. Um, uh, he's there, and there's this, this um, army of angels around, and nobody else could see it. And so eventually it was the prayer of open his eyes so that they could see, and all of a sudden, boom, they could see this, this army of angels and uh, understood, uh, I think I know who's going to win this. And in Scripture, it's the same is true where we are reading, and sometimes we read through a passage and we go, boy, I just don't get it. I don't see what this is saying. I don't understand what it means. I don't see how this applies to me. All those kinds of things. And it's a prayer, and the psalmist here understands the, the prayer of, Lord, open my eyes so that I can understand, so that I can comprehend, so that I can uh, know. And this prayer and this sought-out searching for understanding, when we look at the Bible, the whole, all Psalm 119 is about Scripture, we see this importance of understanding, and he says that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The understanding that comes with this prayer is what God has for me is amazing. What is in this, again, I'll use the word book, that is for me, that I can use in my life, that I can apply in my life, it's wondrous, it's wonderful, it's awe-inspiring, it's motivational, it's life-changing, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through and the dividing asunder. Oh, this, uh, now I'm going nah, to mess it up. There's morrow in there, there's spirit in there. It, it, it dives in, it splits, it, it divides, it, it opens, it is alive and it's active and it's working. But I need to understand that God opened mine eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of thy law. A lot of times people look at the scriptures and they look at a to-do list or a to-don't list. Do this, don't do this. Thou shalt not, thou shalt. Um, those kinds of things. And when they look at it and it's a very negative light. Uh, young people, I, I, I fear that sometimes we give them this mindset of rules. We need rules, guidelines, especially young people. Needs rules and guidelines. But sometimes I fear that maybe we, 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 we make it too dark. Because the, the Bible is light. And sometimes we get to this mindset that builds in us, especially if we grow up in church, and we get in this mindset of, well, if I read the Bible, all I'm going to hear about is all my sin, uh, all the things I can't do, all these kinds of things. And, and, and yes, it's in the Bible, Yes, it convicts us of our sins. Yes, it, it, it tells us the things that we need to stay away from. But there's so much more to it. There's so much wonderfulness in Scripture. As a matter of fact, even the don't do these things is wonderful. Because the Bible says if you don't do these things, you won't have to go through this punishment. And if you do these things, you're going to have joy and satisfaction and happiness. Hey, that sounds pretty light. <laughs> we got to be careful of how we even view Scripture. And the psalmist here understands there are wondrous things in thy law. I want to see them. Lord, open my eyes. Then in verse 19, we see that the opportunities in the Bible it also removes loneliness. Verse 19 says, I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. 
Sometimes being a Christian can be lonely in society. Um, sometimes, you know, there, you just you have to cut out people in your life. You have to, uh, you know, when you're walking the straight and narrow, so to say, when you're following the Bible, sometimes in society it becomes lonely. We read a quote from Helen Keller this morning in Sunday school for the teenagers, and I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but in the quote she mentions, she's talking about Scripture and talking about it removing depression. And you think about Helen Keller, deaf, blind, um, uh, you know, a long time ago, not as much technology and help and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine how lonely Helen Keller was at times? I don't know about you, all I can think about right now is some jokes about Helen Keller. It's not, that's not good. It's not nice. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but honestly, wouldn't it be a lonely life if you were deaf and blind, even now? Think about back then, how many people knew sign language? How many people knew how to communicate with Helen Keller? Not too many, probably. Yet she credits Scripture with keeping her out of the dark depression. It can do the same for me. It can do the same for you. The, to be able to remove the loneliness. Well, I look at society and say, well, all my friends, they're going to go drink and they're going to go party. You know, next week's the Super Bowl. Some of you care. Some of you don't. But some of your friends you say, well, I can't go do what they're doing because what they're doing is bad. Some of your friends are going to skip church next week for the Super Bowl. You don't have to because we're done in time. But uh, so, See, we're just helping people. Um, but when doing right, sometimes it means loneliness in this world, lack of people around you. That's why church is so important, by the way, as well. So that you have like-minded people there to support you and help you be friends with. But the Scriptures can remove loneliness. And then in verse number 20, he says, My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. The, the opportunity in the Bible is a deep desire for God. My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgment at all times. Just longing for God, for His wisdom, for His guidance, for His uh, following Him, for Him to... And, and again, we use the word judgments, and sometimes we think of that as a negative sense, but judging rightfully also, rewarding. That's part of judgment, passing judgment. Rewarding those who did right. And so that longing for those things. Then we see in the last four verses the opposition to the Bible. Pride, the ultimate opposition. Verse 21, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Pride, and, and, and I don't know that this verse is talking about Christians, but pride is, I think, the, the biggest thing that takes Christians and pulls them away from God. It's a, it's a lifting up of myself. And again, I go back to John. Uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's less of me. It's emptying me of me and filling me of God. And the pride just, it just it fills us up. It leaves no room for God, no room for the Holy Spirit, no room to do the things that God wants us to do. It's all about me. How can I get more? How can I be recognized? How can I feel better? All these kinds of things. And the pride, it just pulls us away from God. And it's, it's opposite of the Bible, and it's opposition to the Bible. God rebuked the proud, he says here in verse 21. 
uh, that error from thy commandments. Verse 22, remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. He's saying, I've done right, yet there are those that are against me. Untrue accusations, people that are bitter or hateful towards him. And he's asking God to take these things away. And the reality is there are things that the people, uh, policies, like we talked about this morning, that are a reproach and a contempt to God's Word. They're opposite of God's Word. They're in opposition to God's Word. And again, they twist Scripture and they, um, they throw out things that they've just heard as opposed to studied. And there's a lack of understanding. There's an ignorance there. Sometimes a willfully ignorant. Sometimes just ignorant. And yet here we see the request. The things that are opposite of right. The things that are against me because I do right, Lord, remove them from me. He's confident in verse 22, not prideful, confident that I have kept thy testimonies. I'm doing right. There is nothing wrong, and listen, God knows it, that you're doing right. But there's nothing wrong with saying, God, you said you're going to provide. You say you're going to protect. You say you're going to deliver. And I'm going through it right now. And I'm doing my very best. I'm depending on you. I'm faithful to you. I'm serving you. God, I need your help. Because you are righteous, and because you are righteous, when I do right, you say you will reward, you will help. So God, I need your help. And that's the look here. Verse 23, he says, powerful people uh, are, are in opposition. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy serv servant did meditate in thy statues. It's interesting here, it's a good reminder for us. Where was his mind? The, 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 the powerful people were against him. But he kept his mind, he meditated on God's statutes, on God's Word. He didn't, he didn't take the time uh, to, to, to think about everybody that was against him. Yes, he knew about it, hence the prayer. But it wasn't, his, his mind was not focused on all that were against him. His mind was focused on God's statutes. And I'm telling you, in God's Word, if we can keep our mind there, Psalm 1 tells us to, but if we can keep our mind on God's Word as opposed to everything else, it changes the way we think, it changes the way we live, changes our, our mindset, our mood. It, 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 it again brings light, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment, even when everything else is against us. And then in verse 24, he closes out this section with, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So he says, I've meditated on thy statutes and thy testimonies, thy word, the things that you've given me are also are my delight and my counselors. That's where I'm getting my advice from. That's where I'm getting my wisdom from. Again, there are books that you can read that will give you advice. There are people upon people upon people who are willing to give you their advice. There are blogs. There are videos. There are uh, um, organizations, all these things, they'll say, here's what you need to do. The psalmist understood, and it's given to us by inspiration of God, that God's testimonies, God's statutes, God's law, God's word should be our counselor. It's not wrong to ask for help. It's not wrong to ask for advice. It's not wrong to ask for counsel, depending on who you're asking. But ultimately, we should be seeking God's word 
and God Himself for the counsel that we're going to receive. God, what do you want me to do? God, what should I do? God, where should I go? God, who should I be friends with? God, uh, where should I go to church? God, uh, all these things. Ultimately, the best counsel we can ever get is from God's Word and God Himself. Well, how do we do it? The simple things. We read God's Word, study God's Word, we pray. Allow God to give us the things that we're asking for. There's so much in the Bible that we can gain from you're not going to get it if you're not reading it. There's so much that God wants to teach you and tell you, but you're not going to get it unless you're talking to Him. It has to start there, the simple things. And so much of what God desires for us to do starts with God's Word and just reading it and knowing it. Um, and it's a decision that you have to make that you're going to do. You have to make the time for it. You have to make the decision, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to prove God true. God says He loves me. God says He cares about me. God says He'll, he'll give me wisdom. God says He'll provide for me. I'm going to prove that to be true. Here I go. Reading Scripture, praying to God. Those kinds of things uh, are things that, again, you can hear someone tell you, until they're blue in the face that it works, but you're not going to know it until you try it. Um, and you've got you've to you've uh, claim it for yourself and let God work in your life. Uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised if you don't believe it, uh, uh, but you'll be pleasantly satisfied uh, with it as well. Lord, I pray for your help. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful in the simple things. I pray that we would follow you, trust you. Um, when those oppose us and your word, Lord, may we keep our minds focused on you and not the outside influences. God, help us to seek the right counsel um, and help us just to trust you, to have faith that what you say is true. And Lord, may we, when we apply it to our lives and prove it to be true. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.